2002 after they lost to Brazil, one well-known journalist booing David Seaman as he walked through the mix zone. (laughs) (laughs) David Seaman, who was in tears. Like Brazil, the more conservative, a lot of substance, you know, not being too cavalier. It basically gets done on the break when they're 1-0 up in extra time. My name is Aidan O'Hara. Later we'll be discussing two epic quarterfinals yesterday as Croatia and Argentina advanced, as well as discussing England and France alongside Dion Fanning. We begin today with a story breaking overnight and the death of American soccer journalist Grant Wall at the Lusail Stadium last night. Daniel McDonald, those who are in the press box must be in a bit of a state of shock this morning. Yeah, um, uh, I think so. I think so, Aidan. Like, yeah, I mean, it's it's just like, you know, terrible news. Um like I suppose Grant Wall's name is something that like you have a thing at these tournaments, like you sort of you see these sort of characters around the press room that like are sort of like I don't know, maybe not household names, but you know what I mean. They're like huge sort of journalistic names that you're yeah. you 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 say the name to people back home when things were sort of happening last night and um they they know them, you know, and like that's for someone who's an American reporter, that's sort of a um, maybe unusual in a way, but um, yeah, no, it, it, it was like um, would have been sort of pretty distressing situation in the press box last night. Um, in the yeah, it would have been in sort of the second half of extra time, and then as penalties were going on, so um, slightly sort of um, very sort of surreal um, situation. And I mean, I was reasonably close. To it, but but not close in the sense that, um, you know, people obviously would have been sitting in the same row, and and um, it was clear something very serious was was happening, and there was obviously efforts going on to try and, um, you know, save him and and sort mm-hmm. of clear the area, and um, you have obviously the game going on, sort of with with the the noise and the the the. The sort of all the natural sort of rhythm that goes with that and 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 the the whatever the eighty ninety thousand crowds sort of caught up in that while this was 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 going on so um yeah just just like terrible terrible for like his sort of his you know his close friends and colleagues and and um people who would have who would have known him very well and and people who were just happened to be sat around him who obviously had to see something that was pretty um pretty traumatic for traumatic for them i mean it's yeah it's 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 um it's 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 shocking really you know and um uh yeah sort of the you know the the fragility of it all you know just like enjoying the game like everyone everyone one second and tweeting away and um i would have walked into the stadium next to him earlier in the evening going through security you know um yeah just just you know everyone's on the same cycle covering the same you know the same beat and, and doing the same things and then something something like that happens so yeah it was a really bad situation as i said i really feel dreadful for the people who are really sat next to him and around them and and I mean, paramedics and everyone come in and, and sort of did their best and did whatever they could do but it was obviously just very very sort of very challenging situation um just a very challenging situation unfortunately like you did you did fear the worst um at yeah. the time but but hope for the best um, but unfortunately um yeah just really really sad yeah yeah it's, it's very it's, it's it's surreal seeing him 
saying uh, the, him tweeting about the match and the last tweet he had was about the, the, the wonders of the of the free kick. Um so yeah, certainly a lot of people's yeah, certainly crazy. a lot of people's yeah. thoughts this morning. Yeah, um, no. We'll 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 move on to events on the pitch, I guess, with with the game last last night, uh, the Argentina advancing. Obviously, you were there. The atmosphere in the stadium seemed extraordinary. There was seemed to be quite an amount of uh, quite an amount of, I guess, animosity in the game itself. Um, obviously, events overtook it, but from from your perspective in terms of the game itself, like. Holland seemed to play for 20 minutes with a big man up front, launch ball. Argentina couldn't handle it, but for the other 100 minutes, it was Argentina who were on top and probably deserved to go through. Yeah, that's definitely, um, that definitely be my sort of impression of it, you know. Um, the, uh, I mean, the comeback was extraordinary, really, from, from, from the Dutch perspective, you know, because they were... You know they were they were finished really in the in the context of the game. You know when Messi scores at two 0 it was like that's it. You know it, it is that sense where you sort of um, you, you you sort of probably mentally check out and and clearly like you know to some degree that happened with with Argentina and then obviously one or two other players got caught up in some of the um, you know the, the the personal stuff and the squabbles and all of this stuff that seemed to be going on around the game. Um, and like they definitely, um, uh, you know, there's obviously possibly a sense from their perspective. I, I, you know, there was obviously elation afterwards and and relief and 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 probably a bit of everything. Um, you know, the, it, you know, the celebrations were were obviously would expect, I suppose, after yeah. the final whistle. Like you know, with this Argentina team, it's always such a roller coaster of emotion, and it's always so sort of. You know, frenzied, and there's no middle ground. There's, there doesn't seem to be anyone there that's going, okay. You know, calm, calm. Yeah. You know, it's it's let's shake the it, opponent's hand, kind of stuff. No, no, it it just seems to be this sort of this constant wave of it. Um, so I mean, did did they come out of it as the favourites, or did they come out of it as a team that you think? Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm convinced about that. I mean, I, I like, yeah, I'm not going to lie. Like the last few minutes of extra time, it was quite distracting just around what was happening around yeah, us. And like, you know, I've sort of, so the, the, there was a sense and, and that, you know, they were finishing the game like very strongly, I think. And, and that, yeah. Is that something that would be accurate in the sense of like, um, they that might be maybe one of the more impressive aspects to the performance that uh, that an extra time, maybe that they didn't rather than lose their way completely, uh, after what happened, they managed to get it back on track and and put on that pressure at the end. So maybe that does suggest they have the resilience to bounce back from yeah. the shock and they won't be they won't be scarred for by that sort of twenty minutes where they they lost it completely. Yeah, yeah, I think there's. I don't know how, how true it is, that story of 1966 when West Germany scored the last minute equaliser and Alf Ramsey's team talk apparently was, you know, you've won it once, go and win it again. Yeah. There was a bit of that about Argentina where they just sort of, they went at it. I mean, the Dutch were absolutely dreadful. I mean, Van Gaal was being praised for his substitutions in parts and for the most part they were, I thought they were dreadful. Um, Argentina looked very good and I think, and it's happened, it kind of happens a little bit at Saudi, against Saudi Arabia as well, where they seem to think, right, we're much better than these. And the difference against Saudi Arabia, they got the second goal. But they did just seem to switch off and start to go through the motions. And suddenly, the Dutch started launching balls up towards Veghorst. And, like, in the game itself, I mean, there was 
two assists in the game. We don't normally talk about assists when we talk about football matches, but the Messi assist, I think it was 88,000 people at the, at the match. I'd say if there was one person who saw that pass on, that was it. You know, that was it. And then the free kick at the end, where, again, another assist, another moment. And I guess those things are, I think that's the beauty of the World Cup is, you know, you remember moments like that. You remember what they, if, the, the noise, wherever you were watching it, we were watching it in, in, in the office of the Irish Independent, and it was like everyone was shouting and clapping at a telly because it, it just seemed mm. extraordinary. It must, have been, it must have been an incredible moment in the stadium. Oh yeah, I mean, the, like the the pass obviously was, and and particularly because the the early stages of the game, like there was that sense of oh, is this going to be a nil all? Like, is this going to be twenty fourteen again? In the sense that it's a stalemate, so almost that sense of like the the celebration was sort of laced with the sense of almost liberation from that feeling that this would be that type of game as well, yes. that and and that the player who everyone wanted to unlock it, like had had unlocked it you know they i think everyone who who was fortunate enough to go and see messi play like you know the, a lot of people are in the mindset of i have to go and see messi play while i can that's almost an element of it and uh but i it's like these you know an nba star or something like you can go and watch them but you can always go and watch them on an off night you know the, you yeah. know everyone goes to a game where messi's involved hoping to have a messy moment that they can say they were there for and i suppose mm-hmm. That was one of those, but I mean the day that was in it. Yes, you know the day that was in it yesterday. I mean, like Neymar delivered an incredible moment for Brazil, but then yeah. you lose and it's gone. I mean, uh, if Argentina don't win that shootout, I think that Messi pass is is gone. You know, we still remember it, um, yeah. but it's it's it doesn't. You know the the legacy of it. and and you know maybe for Argentina as well, it's about winning the competition. I mean, Messi did amazing things in twenty fourteen. Um, to help them get to the final, but it's sort of you know in the with the passing of time, he's remembered more so as a as a World Cup failure. Um, yes, you know, ra- rather than you know the the person who sort of picked him through certain moments in in that tournament, and that's probably still what he needs to do this time to fully, you know, cement the the legacy of 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 that pass in in a, in a strange way. And I mean, like the whole Argentina day and. and was to ask what it was like, you know, around the place. I mean, it, it obviously was following on from what had happened to Brazil earlier in the day, and that sort of sense yeah. of uh, is this is this sort of destiny, you know, and and is everything falling away as much as it's dangerous to underestimate Croatia? Um, Argentina will feel that all of a sudden, you know, they're they're strong favourites to be at the final on Sunday week, and then everything is. No, they're going to be the. No, yeah, they're going to be. I mean, they're going to. They're going to be. It's a home crowd for them, right? It's completely. These are home games for Argentina. Like unless somehow Morocco were to keep going, like Argentina are going to have this like incredible support in whatever games they play that are left in this competition, and that's. Yeah. It can be a powerful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And just, I mean, it, at this stage, it's 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 remarkable that yesterday how quickly events move on i mean one minute it's neymar and his moment and his legacy and the next minute it's neymar not taking the fifth penalty and then an hour later it's messi and the pass and another hour later it's the dutch and that free kick but just getting back to neymar i'm not sure he he couldn't have done much more within the match to probably you know get them over the line the fifth penalty idea uh 
it seems very strange. Like, whether or not Messi was thinking of taking the fifth penalty if it went to that, it would be unlikely. I'm sure after watching Neymar in Brazil or hearing about it, it might have changed his mind. But it just seems very There Was there much talk over there about it? I mean, this talk here around his ego and all that kind of stuff. I think that seems a bit over the top. But it's you kind of left it. it, it it's, worse to, uh, it's worse to wonder what might have been. Yeah, I mean, I look what the the personality that's involved. There's always an extreme of reaction to it, and like he's also not a hugely sympathetic figure. It's, you know, really, um, um, in my opinion, like there's different opinions mm-hmm. than that. But um, I mean, so so you have to like it's like it you know, wasn't it the Mo Salah one? You know, we we had it in a couple of years back with with Egypt and and. Ronaldo, like there's previous instances yeah. of, um, and yeah, like yeah. I, 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 you, you just, I, I like, the, I think you know, you, you would have. It's easy. It's, I'm just so conscious. It's like there's so much. Like there's a sp- scoreboard journalism element to it, right? After the event, here's what should have happened. You know, here's what yeah, should have course. changed that result. But I, I still do feel that I, I don't know about you, but when I and he did, he did score it actually, but when I saw Pedro going up for that penalty, I was thinking, and it was a pressure penalty at the time. I'm thinking, why are you up before Neymar here? You know, yeah. like what's what's and that was something that was in the mind during the shootout, and maybe it's just maybe even more so because Rodrigo missed the first penalty. Um, yeah. But there is a sense of you know what Messi did, like you know you you you, you know you, you get out there early, you set the tone, like you know the first penalty, you know was so decisive as it turned out and even in terms yeah. of the momentum of the shoot and now in saying that I think it was one of those where it's a bit like um not as dramatic but close the the Ghana Uruguay one we referenced in 2010 um that you just felt when it went to a shootout that it was going to go this way yeah and that you know like Brazil you know this Brazil side that we'd spoken about um and I'd written about you know a little bit more conservative, a lot of substance, you know, not being too uh, cavalier, like basically gets done on the break when they're 1-0 up an extra time. Yeah. Like the one thing we probably yeah. praised was like their game management and their game management completely went out the window. Um, and I think just when it went to penalties, you sensed like the, the Croatian side, like they they know how to get it done. I mean, and like naturally we talk about Brazil, that's, that's what you do. Like it's, it's, it's a natural instinct because they were the most likely winners of the tournament. But when I was at all four of Croatia games prior to this, um, and I'm a big fan of Croatia going back to like watching them in Euro 2008 and Modric. And, but I didn't think yeah. they had, I didn't think they were capable of, of, of going to 120. I mean, even the fact that against Japan, uh, earlier in the week, like you know, Modric Kovacic didn't see the 120 minutes yeah. of the game, um, but they just like they are so plucky, so gutsy, like you know. And I know, yeah, for the competition, um, probably would have been better if Brazil had gone through. If you step back from it the following day and you go, what would be the yeah. best game to be going to, um, and all of that, and to be watching, um, but. Um, you've just got to admire, like you know, what three semi-finals in 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 the space of what seven tournaments, twenty four years. I mean, yeah, uh, for a small country, yeah, extraordinary. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We've that's two of the semi-finals decided. There'll be two more decided today. And before yesterday's games, myself and Dan were joined by associate editor with the currency, Dion Fanning, to look ahead to today's games. 
Dion, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Aiden. Welcome back to Talbot Towers. Very good to be here. I hope it's yeah, I hope it's as good as you remember it. Um, we're going to talk about England France uh, today. We also have Dan here on the line as well. We have obviously the Southgate debate. Has he just been lucky with draws? Has he managed to put the teams, you know, get the right players together? Has he just struck the balance? Is he just a nice bloke? What way do you see, you know, his magic, for want of a better phrase, that's taken England to places they haven't been in other years? I I don't think you can attribute it all to just a good draw, given given how fundamentally England have changed from previous eras, you know, and I think that's the thing. And I was writing about this for the currency this weekend about like that, those, those generations of failure, how they approached every tournament, certain that they were, you know, just with failure kind of, they knew they were going to fail some one way or another. Um, sometimes it was kind of epic. Sometimes it was like, you know, before before they even got to the tournament with Steve McLaren. Yeah. There was just repeated failures. And there's definitely been uh, a real change. Now, I think in some ways the media has kind of changed significantly too. And Dan would, would like know this better than me being out there now. But like I even even in 2014, in Brazil with Roy Hodgson, who was really uh, like a spoofer as, as an England, England manager, but he'd managed, like the media then had kind of tired, I think, of their own hysteria to yeah. a degree. And that helped Southgate too. But there is a calmness that they brought into every tournament that has helped them. And clearly we know we know the limitations of it. We know, we know what, like we look at his, his, Southgate's limitations in the Euros in the in the final yeah. especially, um, but I do think there is something in what he's done with the players he has, and they are an exciting generation of players that that deserve some respect. But again, the game against France, their first opportunity to beat uh, an elite team outside England in, in a major tournament, like these these are huge things still that England have to do, and and I think it would be equally one-eyed to say that the factor of the, the fact that they've had an easy draw in the, in tournaments hasn't helped them. Of course it has, yeah. but I think there is, there is something in what, in what he's done. And it, it has been to bring this sense of steadiness really, which yeah. is a pretty boring quality. And Southgate has it in spades. Like he is a, you know, like he's, he's not a, a charismatic person. He's not, a, you know, exciting figure but I, maybe that's what England needed yeah I guess Deschamps is similar in, in, in a way that this you know it, it's very difficult to win a, a tournament across seven games if you're going like a roller coaster where it's you know up and down you need to be kind of steady with it and he definitely does seem to have brought that that steadiness with it do you think he'll stay on afterwards I don't know and it's an interesting um it's an interesting conversation because I saw like the Telegraph had a story uh, the other day about like the three candidates lined up to succeed him and to, and, and two of them were uh, Pochettino and, and Tuchel I think were two of them and then Steve Holland being the third if Southgate doesn't stay and to me then it was like well this seems a very strange if they're going if they're going that way if they went for for Pochettino or somebody they seem to be abandoning everything they've kind of promoted mm -hmm. with Southgate because he's not the He's not the most glamorous manager in the world. He's not a guy who would 
necessarily get a top Premier League job, but he has worked well at international football. He might decide that, see, we'll see how it goes, but this could be, he might decide that this is the right time for him to, to, um, to depart and actually... Now, I think it might be colored by by how they actually do in the tournament, yeah. but it do, would seem like after, you know, after six years that it's, you know, it's not a bad time for him to walk away. Mm-hmm. Dan, you were thinking previous, the start of the tournament, when we were mentioning Eddie Howe as a possible uh, option to tick a lot of boxes, and possibly even for even from Newcastle's point of view, that he might be someone that would suit if, if Southgate did decide to step away. Yeah, I see they're they're in Saudi Arabia at the moment, so they're 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 in the they're in the neighborhood, you know, they're in the territory. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I know that the I mean, the thing things are going quite well for Newcastle, but there obviously would have been a feeling at one point that it might be convenient for all parties if uh, if England came along, because at some stage you feel that that Eddie Howe will be upgraded, you know, as part of the the Newcastle project. You feel that would probably mm-hmm. happen as much as he's done well, but. Yeah, I mean, just to go back to the Southgate thing, and 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 Dion would obviously notice from covering in England the tournaments gone by and and sort of living there for a long period of time as well. Like, there's there's no sense of sort of rancor around the place at all, or, or any of those sort of familiar tensions uh, that would exist around the England camp. Like, I'd be chatting to a couple of people who who are there every day, pretty much. They're just you know covering England, and they're just there and. They're, you know, they're just saying everything is very serene. You know, it's just like they're they're getting everything they want in terms of access. You know, they're getting. You see, there was you know lengthy interviews with like Jack Grealish last week. Some some interesting comments from him earlier in the week, and it's just all very calm. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that as much as this could be, that could just be nonsense, right? It's just like you know press talking about press matters, but we know that it does matter in the sense of around the England team how the noise that sort of can envelop them. Like you think of what, 2010 and Wayne Rooney shouting at the camera and um, 2006 and uh, all the stuff around the wags and, and you know, the, the, it was clear like the players in the camp didn't particularly like each other very much and, and all that went with it. Whereas this time it's it's just, it's, it's all good news sort of coming every day, even to the point of like Steve Holland coming out this week, which that was a little bit unusual. You're talking in great detail about, you know, uh, tackling Kylian Mbappe and, and uh, you know, just various, quite open, like very open yeah. in discussions where traditionally I think they would have been pretty closed. Dan, sorry, Dan, can I ask you on that? Like, do you think that's partly as well because the media's power has has waned? Like, you, you we know now there's such blowback if... Uh, you know, if a tabloid covers a story in a certain way or it over eggs a story or it does something like this, you can't, you don't have the tabloids and the newspapers don't have the freedom to do what they used to do. Um, like going back even, you know, way, like we all know the Graham Taylor documentary and like that was probably the, the uh, apex of their power. But even, you know, I remember some, like the great story of like Sir Alf Ramsey and like, like after they, they they couldn't beat Poland and didn't qualify for nineteen seventy four World Cup and at a little at a kind of round table press conference I think the like the the correspondent for the News of the World leaned over and said Sir Alf it's time to go you know <laughs> and uh, like that that power has 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 gone um, and they don't have that anymore so like they've they've been forced to change how they approach it too but I, I accept that also the, the the atmosphere is is different now. 
Yeah, no, and I, I think actually one of the more interesting aspects of Southgate is that at times across the last year, it's almost like the media have been the protectors of Southgate uh, when, it, when a lot of the old school outrage is now on social media. You know, it almost yeah. has felt at times like, you know, fans are, are tiring of Southgate and after they were hammered by Hungary and, and a couple of those difficult ones, that the, the role of the, you know, the turn up on the, the front page has now almost been filled by the social media sort of backlash and response to these things. And a lot of the times you would actually see, uh, would have been the reporters on the beat, it would have been more so, uh, calming things down, you know, and it, you are right. Like I know what you're saying about the traditional power not not being there and, and existing as it was. Although, um, I've I've you know I was at a Louis Van Gaal gig earlier in the week, and and his relations with the Dutch media were more old school sort of combat of you know taking people on to task for specific things they've written, and it was almost like a, a an old England manager's press conference. Um, but I, I do think in general, yeah, the the atmosphere has changed, and, and there's obviously there's factors you mentioned there that are shaping that. It was it was 2010, which you mentioned there as well. I remember wasn't that the tournament? I think Stephen Gerrard talked about kind of being so apprehensive about the reaction to uh, when they were playing America in their opening game, just mm-hmm. entirely focused on what will the what will the headlines be, what will the consequences be if we do, if we don't perform well here yeah, yeah. and that just seemed to that just drained especially that generation which so had so much pressure put on them and so much expectation put on them that just drained it and now i think we'll get into this i think you know there's still a lot of concerns for england when they play a team like france and i i, I the result against senegal papered over an awful mm-hmm. lot of cracks in in that performance i think but there these players do seem to be better equipped to deal with it and less concerned with what whatever noise there is yeah i thought it was interesting like in this tournament and you know when they played the the usa it was a poor enough game they didn't perform at all there was the talk of you know fold and the usual stuff that goes on whenever a poor result comes in but after the game they were in with their families in the in the stadium there was pictures you know taken they were all were all happy enough everyone was grand now it's a sort of image you would never have seen even 10 years ago after a poor result in a world cup usa are a decent team but like there is definitely that calmness previously you would have had journalists you know lining up to you know how dare it look, look at this they're laughing and chatting how dare they laugh and chat yeah. with their families after shaming the nation in a nil, nil, nil draw <laughs> it's you know they, they well, were yeah. able to be calm about that and I, southgate is calm and just moves on i've written about this before but in 2002 after they lost to brazil one well-known journalist booing david seaman <laughs> as he walked through the mix zone <laughs> a, a david seaman who was in tears and he's been booed by one journalist so uh <laughs> Times times have really changed. <laughs> that would have gone viral these days if you had yeah. if someone had been able to take a video of it. <laughs> but it's no, it is. It's totally. It is. It's it is a, a totally different uh, atmosphere, and that's got to be to their to their benefit. Now, again, I still think they play. They play with a caution, or they play with a lack of expressiveness at times that probably doesn't do justice to the talent they have but i don't think it's because there's a fear of the response um Mm -hmm. to it now it will be interesting to see what happens with the france game i heard somebody suggest this week that politically it will be it's going to be hard for southgate to switch formations because it would be seen as a backward kind of defensive step but 
that's going to be interesting. Now, I like you would like to think that a manager isn't going to be thinking about those things, but uh, it is going to be interesting to see what happens if England fail and yeah. how they fail if they do fail, yeah. which I think they will fail. Okay. <laughs> I think they had as well, like the fact that he played the three in midfield, it, it, all the talk was it's Harry Kane plus and which three behind him and the two lads, be it Bellingham and be it Bellingham or Phillips or Henderson and Royce. So two of those. And the fact that he went with three is almost easing people into this idea that this is how we're going to set up against France. We're going to have a back either a back four and three midfielders in front, or we're going to have a back five and two in front. We're going to have seven, and these lads are, are going to be the ones. So I think they will have to be defensive. But Dan, what's the vibe over there in terms of in terms of England, France? Is is it is it a nation expects stuff, or are people being kind of more realistic, if you like? Well, I think there's two elements to it. I mean, I think there's obviously a there's a little bit of chat about probably looking at the 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 other side of that draw now as well, in the sense that mm-hmm. you know you've Spain are gone, you know, and then it's like okay, Portugal were very very impressive, um, but it's still you know Portugal and Morocco at the other side, which just mm-hmm. you know build that sort of um, that the, you sense that like you know as the game is drawn closer. That sense of what victory can mean uh, is 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 sort of that sense is growing louder, um, but yeah, I mean, I I, I think like there's a, I think just how good Mbappe has been, I think is is keeping an element of that in check, and I think the the, the tactical stuff is like very significant for this game. Like, I mean, France probably struggled a little bit against Denmark when they were up against a team with a you know a back three. You know, I know that the Ireland staff were at that game, and I think they took a lot from it because, uh, you know, because of the system that Denmark play and, and like Ireland would would play similarly. And I mean, a lot of this revolves around Kyle Walker. I mean, ultimately, this is like this is the the key element of the game is how they shackle Mbappe. It's what Steve Holland was talking about. There was a, a bit of chat out here amongst sort of various football heads that England were going to play the back four in the group stage and change to the back three in the the knockouts, and they didn't do that for the Senegal game. And as Dion mentions, maybe there's a sense that uh, they, they they don't want to do that, um, but that would be a little bit of a concern if there was an initial plan to go that route and they've sort of uh, abandoned it on the strength of games against sort of. Uh, I mean, Senegal were a diminished version of of Senegal, even you know, just with a couple mm-hmm. of the, the personal issues they had. So personnel issues. So um, I, I think you know, even the selection, like when the team is named, you're going to get a certain insight into what the uh, the English thinking would be, because uh, you sense that Southgate, his natural instinct might still be to go back to that sort of back five or back three. Um, and is now the time that they they do it and just you know live or die by it because I mean France have like the one thing about France is I mean they they probably can be troubled like uh, by a positive approach you like there's still a little bit a few questions about the you know Rabiot and Shuamani in terms of the the the, the midfield spine of the team um, mm-hmm. but they're very strong in terms of the front four and like, Griezmann's been very good in this tournament yeah. and you can just see how his movement could pose a couple of problems for England in that sort of department. So I don't know why, why like I, I would feel that France will do it, but I wouldn't be massively confident. I don't know what you're feeling about it. Yeah, I think like Mbappe, I've never seen anyone run past Kyle Walker. You know, mm. he is incredibly quick. He's just one of these fellas. He just, he looks like a sprinter who's happens to be decent at football and is thrown <laughs> in there. Like, so, and you would think Olivier Giroud and Harry Maguire would, you know, win 
50-50, their fair share. It might be, if there's a ball over the top for the two of them, it might be the slowest race ever to get to a, <laughs> to get to a ball if, if Giroud is facing McGuire. But I think you mentioned Griezmann. Like Griezmann has been yeah. a phenomenal player in this tournament, going under the radar a little bit. Yeah, he's been great. And I think that's, and that's the area, I think, like everyone is obviously and rightly to a certain degree going to focus on Mbappe and because of what he's done. But Griezmann and where he plays is really critical for England too because and then if you're talking about a change in formation like if you're going to play three at the back are you then talking about is it going to be three four three which means you're only going to have two in midfield yeah. um and what that means for where Griezmann where, where Griezmann plays because the big thing and I watched the, I watched the England Senegal game again there again and it's like those first 35 minutes the midfield like you know including Jude Bellingham yeah uh, you wouldn't. You weren't looking at a hundred and thirty million pound player at that stage. Nobody could get on. Nobody was getting on the ball. Nobody was doing anything. It was only when Kane started actually dropping deeper yeah. to get on the ball and then allowing the midfielders to run that actually there seemed to be a bit of functionality in their midfield. But for the first half an hour, you're looking at going. Is any does anybody want it? As it just goes back and forth yeah. between uh, Maguire and Stones and Rice just taking the ball off it and giving it back to them. Now, from a creative sense, that's that's pretty suboptimal. But then, if you put Griezmann in in a position like that, getting on the ball, is Rice going to pick him up? Yeah, um, Henderson. And how is it going to work? Because like they function, they can function so well there. And I just worry about that in the midfield, especially if you take a player out of it, and you've got you know, I wonder, would would they then play three at the back, but actually only play? Would would it be a five three? Or th- a three-five-two, really, mm-hmm. and just lose lose somebody up front, which again is taken away. It's taking away, and as Dan, I agree with Dan. Winning. Like I think there is a chance of, of France against France if you go for them. Um, but whether England really want to do that, I don't know. But I do think that's that's a, that is that area, and I think Griezmann is central to it. I think that like he could really, um, you could just see one of those classic performances there where you're looking again and you're suddenly looking at England going they don't have the wit mm-hmm. and the intelligence to combat somebody who's as clever and as creative on the ball as Griezmann yeah. is. Yeah, I think Henderson is probably possibly could be the key one in there where that kind of big game experience that potentially shackled a player but if he plays mm-hmm. if, if he you, plays yeah. that's the thing I mean he played well the other day but it's that uh it's that sense that they have matchups potentially for Mbappe. They have matchups for Giroud. I don't think they have matchups for for Griezmann, but especially in the in the role that he's playing. Yeah. Especially in the role he's playing. Dion, just on a personal level, I mean, you're married to a woman from England, and your son is English. Uh, he's half. He's half, half English. English. Sorry, sorry, half English. I don't think I'm revealing anything exclusive there. <laughs> by saying that, um, from your own perspective, <laughs> you know, are, are you? Do you have the half and half scarf out, or do you have? Uh, are you? hoping they win or how far do you hope they get shall we say um i i i really i don't i just don't mind you know i i i find like last uh the euros i actually quite liked the England team and i found a lot of the stuff and it goes back to what we're talking about with the media i feel i don't really recognize what people say about the english media now they you know when they're talking about how everyone gets incredibly carried away all this kind of stuff. Like now, maybe just knowing how carried away they used to get, yeah. it doesn't seem like. And I also think like we really can't point the finger at anyone else when it comes to getting carried away about it, you know, because we're like we, you know, we really like in so many different ways where we are in football, we manage to get carried away all the time. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's just a natural thing. What's wrong with getting carried away? 
So I don't recognize that as a reason to uh, to um, kind of be against England. But equally, you know, uh, I, I did kind of, I was kind of getting tired of the whole Southgate thing this year. And I thought like I was kind of edging towards wanting, you know, looking forward to them getting losing. And then I sat down to watch the you know, first game, first game with my son. And he was like, so pro England that I, I'm not the kind of father who's going to enjoy rubbing his nose in it. <laughs> so I'm kind of now for his sake, I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping that England do it. Um, and, uh, and I just think again, and it's a point that's been made repeatedly about their, their, about this team. They're not, it's not, John Terry and uh, you know players like that. This yeah. is a really likable, yeah, really likable team. Um, that I I think people are stretching to kind of say that they find the players themselves objectionable. Southgate again is is bland, You know he's not uh, he's not, he doesn't have that air of arrogance. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of those things go away. But again, equally, there are plenty of reasons why just you know wanting England to lose is a perfectly fine uh you know viewpoint to have on it yeah dan i presume you're of similar mind with <laughs> well, the english connection <laughs> well i mean hang on yeah i don't i don't i don't have any uh english family not that that's a bad thing just to be clear just how that was being presented i wasn't sure uh, <laughs> no i mean like i i don't know i mean uh, i i just uh, it's funny isn't it like because i agree with everything that that dion says they're pretty much around like the the, 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 you know, it's not the John Terry England team. It's also as well, and just by coincidence, I suppose, in Russia and here, not a huge amount of English fans here. And generally, the ones that are traveling aren't maybe the element that you probably associate with the more sort of darker sides of, um, you know, English national team games over the years, you know, and you can't, you can't avoid, like, you know, that there has been issues. I mean, you watch the... Um, there was that very good documentary on was it Channel Four coming up to the tournament, looking back at Italia '90 and uh, a lot of the vibe around the English team at the time, and um, you don't have that atmosphere in every sense around it. And there's obviously very different reasons for that here, um, but I don't know. I still I still find myself watching England games, and I, I have that sense of oh, I just as much as you like them. And I actually had this discussion with someone here. I was like, yeah, this is a likable England team. Didn't want them to go out, and then Wales were on the attack against them, and you just find yourself naturally <laughs> sort of like yeah. go on, go on, Gareth, you know. Um, and, and Gareth unfortunately was unable was unable to go on. Um, Gareth Bale, no, <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah, Gareth Bale to be clear, yeah. And I, I don't know, is that just something that's built in, and you can't avoid it? Like you can you can talk about your maturity and, and wanting the England team to do well, but then if you don't feel it, does it count? You know, like yeah. I mean, if if it comes to when it came to the penalty shootout against Italy in the Euros, like I think everyone listening, like they can, you you know deep down how you felt, like that is yeah. that is how you feel, you know, and you might say one thing, um but then feel another thing, or maybe not, you know, and I think that was that was almost the ultimate test, wasn't it? That penalty shootout, because it was like, it was. I mean, I, I, I was happy, you know, <laughs> and I feel ashamed to say it in a way now, but I mean, it was. England did a penalty shootout at Wembley. It was almost too perfect for them to lose that way, but then you feel a little bit guilty because you see the players afterwards and they're like, they're actual, you know, they're, they're good characters, you know, so you're, you don't enjoy their pain and the way that some of the England meltdowns in the past were, 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 were definitely amusing. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's maybe a slightly different feeling now. Yeah. Dion, you mentioned you're expecting them to 
feel a bit of pain and possibly some of your family feel a bit of pain expecting to fail. Yeah. How you, so I'm presuming, obviously, but by that you're picking France to... Yeah, but again, like Dan, just about, I think. Like, I, I actually started the week thinking it, I thought England could win and just uh, as I've you know, gone through the week, I just sort of think, no, I, I think France will edge it. But um, again, just just a, f- a few factors like i i think that they know what they probably know it's what southgate does but i think they know what france know what they're going to do and what they want to do probably with a clearer with a greater clarity than than england do and uh again just they've done it they've got a track record they like it is it, it is a kind of amazing statistic that the england haven't beaten you know on, on, on you know outside england mm-hmm. They haven't beaten an elite team in in the in the in a World Cup, so yeah. like that again. I think in in that that is a factor. So I I think, but I like there were a few times watching the po- like and Poland were really really terrible, really terrible. There was moments in that game for a while where you're like France could blow this, yeah. Um, and like the Denmark game was a very good game again, and you know Denmark took it, you know had had their had their opportunities. So, but then again. Senegal did Senegal really and if Senegal had the players they could have had available to them they really would have fancied their chances in that first half an hour so I think just on balance I think France could edge it but I think it could go you know extra time yeah Dan what's your verdict yeah I, I just about for <clears throat> France just about sort of a preference for France I think like like we're talking about the game all in the context of how England will react to things that France do. You know, there's almost a sense of that that, like, you know, could England almost overthink it in a way as we sort of half alluded to and, and maybe lose some of what's good about them, you know, lose some yeah. of uh, the threats that they do present because, like, the best thing about England is, like, their attacking options and their bench as well. That is the one thing. They, they possibly have a, better, have a stronger bench mm, than, yeah. than, than, than the French. You know, they might have better options to come into the game. So... Uh, if it went the extra time way, I'd actually be sort of, I don't know, would I be uh, leaning in another direction? But I, I think France in 90 minutes, I think, but but narrowly. And I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a great game to look forward to because there's definitely weakness in both sides that can be exploited. And you hope that, you know, it, it becomes a kind of game where it's an attacking one as opposed to a, a an overly conservative one. Actually, I think in a way, that's the thing. I think if England get too conservative, it'll be, it'll be a bad thing. Um, yeah. And I might cost them. Yeah, yeah. The other game today is uh, we have the Ronaldo show, or possibly not the Ronaldo show, with Morocco. Speaking of team selections, and I mean, what do you make of Ronaldo? We could hear it for an hour. It's, it's a very open question. But do you see him coming back into the fold, Dion, or what? Do you, do you were they just too good the other night to? to I think they were. Back? I think they were too good. Like, and actually, surprisingly good because I don't think anyone expected that kind of a performance from from Ramos and it, like it was comically good because of you know the, everyone being aware of this uh, Ronaldo response and mm-hmm. and you know and it is it is kind of it, if it wasn't Ronaldo and if he wasn't so full of uh, his own narcissism Himself, yes. it would be kind of tragic that this yeah. is this is what's happening but it's, it ends up just being comedy and I think they'll have to do the same thing again um, but it will be interesting because like uh, like it's like Morocco. I, I thought Spain were really terrible. Yeah. Like really, really terrible against Morocco. Like, you know, the, people talk about how well organized Morocco were and they were, but like that's what Spain were doing. Wasn't, 
it wasn't what we kind of what we expect you know it wasn't the, the, uh, uh, a next generation on from the 28 20, 2008 no. 2010 team it was it was just sterile it was fearful sterile domination yeah phrase Wenger used yeah. for a long long time yeah it yeah. was nothing it was just nothing and um and I just it would be interested to see. I think Morocco could give them a game. I don't think like, I was now. I I fancied Switzerland uh, against Portugal, mm-hmm. um, and I was surprised at the way it went. But I think again, it will be interesting. And I you wouldn't expect them to be able to get the space that they got yeah. in that game. Yeah, I thought that Morocco spent a lot of time just watching Spain just yeah. pass the ball in front of them, and you know Portugal have maybe not quite as technically good players as Spain. Some some certain would be, but they have like. What they do have is cutting edge, you know. Yeah. You would have said the cutting edge with Ronaldo, and you know even more so from from the other from the other night. Dan, how is that in Morocco? You were saying, you know, over the over the course of the few weeks, they're very well supported in Qatar, and obviously the the Ronaldo show factored into that mix, and it's the first game uh, on Saturday. What's uh, what's the the mood like over there? Is there was there much Ronaldo talk, or is it is it is there more Morocco focus? Well, I mean, I mean, the thing about the Ronaldo wasn't—I wasn't at the Portugal Switzerland game, but I mean, there was fans calling for Ronaldo to be introduced. They just weren't Portuguese fans, you know. They were just people <laughs> in the stadium who wanted to, to see him. And um, I was—I was sort of down at the the fan park that day, and there was, um, you know, lots of Ronaldo jerseys around the place. But again, like you know, it's it's more, uh, you know, people from other countries, you know, and so. Uh, that that's I mean there was you know cheers when he's on the big screen and yeah people want to see you know there's a, you know, some supporters want to just see the, the most famous person in the in the in the football world like um you know on the pitch but uh, in terms of like the the vibe around Morocco has been incredible like it has been the the story of the the competition possibly you know or one of the stories of the competition um that uh even just the sort of spontaneous scenes, a sort of celebration on the street after the game, like in a country where nothing spontaneous ever really happens, you know, uh, that isn't sort of controlled in some way. And, and Morocco was sort of broken out of that a small bit. And I mean, they're going to have like incredible support in the ground, you know, because a lot of the, the very striking aspect of the celebrations the other night, like there was people in Saudi jerseys in the middle of it, you know, and, and all the sort of, the, the Arab world coming together and rallying around Morocco. So they are going to be the home team in the stadium. And I think they've managed to feed off it. Now, it might just be a bridge too far, particularly because they were out on their feet in, in a couple of key positions at the end of the game. And it's possibly going to be hard for them to turn it round again um, against a team who might be a little bit more direct in terms of their attack and play. But um, it's a great story, you know. It has been genuinely sort of uh, something you can you can get on board with it's not manufactured like a lot of the other stories are this one certainly isn't mm-hmm. yeah so i think we're all going portugal on that yeah it's hard to see the ronaldo show will roll on dion just before we wrap up i just wanted to ask you like you, you've had a lot of experience between writing editing all that kind of stuff very interested in media matters how have you found watching this world cup from from here the, the media coverage obviously dan wrote a piece there you know behind the scenes in qatar how have you found that balance as a i guess as an observer for the, for the most part um i think uh you mean in terms of getting the the issues across yeah the, the stick the stick to football versus the, the stick, you know yeah, that well, kind of well the stick to football really I, I think stick to football might be finished after this tournament because like stick to football has been used as a way to kind of stick to football and agree with what we feel about a country 
um, that you're, you're perfectly entitled to feel totally different about. Mm-hmm. So, like keeping politics out of football was always a political stance to begin with, uh, and I think it's been kind of demonstrated, like between Infantino and everything, uh, the focus on football stuff that that you know now is redundant as an argument. I think, um, I think it's been like I think it's been okay. Like I, like I'll be honest, you know, there's, I've enjoyed watching the World Cup. And I don't have any real issue with having enjoyed watch the world, watching the World Cup, even though I feel it shouldn't be on in Qatar. Yeah. I don't think it, like, and I think people like Dan, Miguel Delaney, um, have covered it, have covered those issues well. I think we all saw like the videos of people saying that this, you know, we must think again about this because I've had a wonderful time at a one city mm-hmm. World Cup where I don't have to. Uh, it's it's easy enough not to, you know, I don't have to do much traveling and everyone's really friendly like that. That stuff has been kind of demonstrated for the kind of uh, facile, kind of blinkered thing that it is. Um, but I don't feel I don't feel that any journalist. I never felt any journalist had to justify being at the World Cup because unless they were on the executive committee of FIFA in 2010 and voted yeah. for it to be in Qatar, they didn't have a case to answer. This is where the World Cup is wrongly. But this is where it is, and it's uh, and the, and you and you go and report on it, and people are going to report on it. Some people are just going to report on it better than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, having said all that, like I, you know, when, when I watch it, I'm watching it and I'm enjoying the matches, um, and I know people who aren't watching it, and mm-hmm. uh, and that's fine too. Like I think the people who've decided not to watch it, but it's uh it is one of those things where i think you can actually accommodate both both feelings uh simultaneously yeah i think that's in in a in a social media area that that idea of nuance and accommodating <laughs> two feelings at the one time can be difficult yeah, to, no, can be difficult no, to grasp. trouble there <laughs> dan thanks for joining us from qatar dion thank you very much for coming to the studio hope your household is happy one way or another over the course of the weekend cheers aiden that was in the World Cup. Watch us on YouTube or independent.ie or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks.